loose. Loose like gooses. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. It's a podcast about performance in Edmonton, Alberta. I'm Fonda. I'm Paul. And a dog and named Dorothy, Dorothy is just... here. Oh, don't you on that cord, sweetheart. Okay, no, come, on, okay. come on, come on. Oh, we go. Oh, we go. <laughs> um, uh, I don't get it as part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Um, we had pr- a pretty crazy week, didn't we, Paul? We sure did. <laughs> still trying to corral <laughs> He's a dog. still trying to get Dorothy out of the, um, out of the, the podcast room. Just we're we're not at the ECF studio today. We've decided to do this in our producer Andrew's home office. Um, so while Paul is corralling the dog, I do want to make a correction on last week's episode um, where we reviewed Edmonton Opera's Don Giovanni. Uh, we uh, mistakenly attributed the role of Donna Elvira to uh, Miriam Khalil. Um, and now... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, we mistakenly attributed the role of Donna Elvira to Miriam Khalil. Um, the role of Donna Elvira in Don Giovanni was actually played by Kara McLeod. So we're very we're sorry about that error. Um, and thank you to the listener who let us know. Thank you. Um, McLeod had stepped in to fill the role for the full run of that show after Khalil had to leave the production due to an injury. Um, and so we didn't realize that wa- that while we were recording and somehow missed the insert in the program. Well, so such is the way. There we go. In any case, um, and now, uh, well, how was how was the week, Paul? What did we do? We, uh, well, we we went and saw Infinity, which is playing uh, Theater Network is is producing uh, uh, the Hannah Moskovich uh, play Infinity. That was that was the first one we saw. Yeah, and then I went and caught the uh, main stage performance at the Edmonton Flamenco Festival at mm-hmm. the Winspear Center. Yeah, and then lastly, uh, just this afternoon, we went and saw Pretty Goblins, Beth Graham's new play, which is being produced by Workshop West at the backstage theater yeah and we're still recovering from that so we're gonna start we're gonna start on the other stuff first <laughs> sure so let's uh how would you describe infinity as a, as a play fonda what are what are some of the the things that came out for you so well, it's a three. It's a three-hander. Um, Hannah Moskovich is, you know, up and coming Canadian playwright, um, and uh, the three hands in the show are uh, mom, dad, and daughter. Mm-hmm. Now the the parents, um, as much as they like to say that they're sort of like weird and strange characters, because one is a, a very intelligent mathematician, one is an inc- well, like a, a physicist, a theoretical physicist, a theoretical physicist. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the uh, the the other is a, um, a very talented composer and musician. Mm-hmm. And then, so their daughter is a product of both. Yeah, is a mathematician. Yes, yeah. she's the mathematician. Yeah. Although, right. although her her connection um, uh, to the the family is something that comes up sort of partway partway through the play. Before we're sort of presented with uh, the this character sort of narrating parts of their life and their experience, uh, mostly with men and and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we're also seeing uh, this other sort of love story play out between this theoretical physicist and uh, and this uh, composer. Yeah, and I think that um, visually what was really interesting about the show is that they, um, not only was the narrative sort of um, broken up in time, mm-hmm. um, they also broke up the space of the stage a lot. Um, and so and uh, projections by Ian Jackson were mm-hmm. used um, to 
sort of animate and texturize uh, like the space yeah. that was that was um, playing and um, wanted there was a scrim. Sorry, go yeah, on. there were there. Were, I think there were two scrims mm-hmm. because there was you could really see the levels and what was being projected was usually um, images of music notes mm-hmm. or or often like uh, scribblings of you know a physicist's scribblings. work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, scribblings for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so visually, they they kind of were trying to break up this these ideas of space and time, and the play, you know, being called Infinity. There's there there is a real um, emphasis on what is time, and mm-hmm. does it is it real? Is it not? Does it matter? Um, and it, I I think what I got from it is that yeah, sure as heck does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because uh, sort of like uh, as we see in the sort of the the symphonic side of of the big ideas in this play is like what matters uh, with music is how it uses time. It uses time in really interesting mm-hmm. ways. So regardless of whether the abstract notion of time is. Uh, this this real thing that's happening or just something we've sort of created to understand our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's almost an irrelevant question because it's what we do with that that sort of matters. And that's sort of the the spiral of these these this combination of, of parents and, and child and, and what they're doing with their time and how that all plays out. Mm-hmm. That is sort of like the emotional arc of the play. Is, is what do we do with the time we have, even when we're looking at time in very different ways? Yeah, and I think one of the themes that I really um, stuck out very strongly for me was the um, how, as a musician, um, you know, the, the, the male figure, sort of father figure, I don't think that the characters are named, um, they... He, he seems almost jealous of her, um, mm. of her ability to wield time mm-hmm. as a musician. Um, and... Uh, Larissa Pororeski um, played the uh, musician role and meant fantastic uh, violinist. And it was it was very interesting to see her character come out while she was playing music. I think in other productions of the play, they have a separate violinist mm, that plays, okay. and so it's not always played by the same performer or the, as the character. Because mm-hmm. some of the some of the transitions in the play would be um, uh, Larissa playing music, and we're seeing these visuals, and then it would sort of segue into the next scene. Yeah, yeah, and what was I, I felt like it was actually the strongest part of. Um, being able to see inside her character because otherwise I didn't feel that I got to know enough about that character. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, so the the play goes through um, them meeting early on. There's an unexpected pregnancy that comes out, and then of course you know you're watching the child as she grows up. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaylee Thomas plays their child, and she is um, she is just like a firecracker. Yeah, great. <laughs> Good combination of um, mm-hmm. the characters, um, uh, and yet another. Um, uh, performer who's actually very like really really plays the role of a child very well. She transitions super seamlessly from being like five years old to twenty years old, mm-hmm. um, and without a costume change at all. Right? Yeah. You know, like she just it was it was very effective. I thought that she she really wielded that role very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think Ryan Parker did uh, did did well as well in sort of the role he was given as sort of this theoretical physicist and working with these very heady ideas. Uh, one thing that struck me with this, I've seen a few Hannah Moscovich plays in this one, uh, and, and they're usually uh, very, they'll chase their ideas uh, in, a, in a very strong way. Um, and I think this one sort of like left a lot of its avenues unexplored. Mm-hmm. Um, you sort of mentioned with, with Larissa's role, sort of we didn't learn that much about the character past a certain point and their sort of arc. Yeah, she um, just felt she was like, she was always kind of crying and trying to get 
um, get some emotional recognition and support from Ryan's character. Mm-hmm. And he was just too busy. He was always working on his dissertation. Mm-hmm. And even when his dissertation was done, he wasn't giving them anything back. So she was like, it, it felt like she was constantly in want. Mm-hmm. But you also didn't really, I wanted to know more about her her process as a musician. I wanted, you right. know, like you, could we, I felt like we were, um, you were exposed to a lot of, uh, Ryan's character mm-hmm. and you got to see like, you know, that the, the roundedness of it. And I didn't think that, um, uh, I think that it wasn't, it, it was, she wasn't written enough almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. there, there just wasn't enough for her to chew on. And, it, and in all honesty, if she wasn't playing the violin, mm-hmm. um, I would have felt, I would, I would have felt really, um, detached from that character. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, again, there's lots of big ideas in infinity. Um, and I think it's sort of after a certain point, uh, doesn't go deep on those anymore uh, in the writing uh, and sort of how it's exploring these ideas of time and the effect and how that's playing out. Because we have these two parent characters who are very much looking at time in different ways. Uh, and we get the sort of like the the narrative of that, of, of how that plays out in their direct lives. But uh, we don't get to explore how some of that works in, in uh, outside of sort of Ryan Ryan's confrontations with time, uh, how that is playing out in their art and in their lives. And even, you know, uh, in the effects that this relationship is having on how they explore time and that. We get it from sort of one side of three, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and with Kaylee's uh, character as well. We uh, we get this sense of, of, of her character and how it connects and, and what sort of we we glean sort of what she has, uh, how she's grown up with, with, these, with these characters and what she's taken from them and mm-hmm. uh, where they've left her, you know, to find her own way in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, with ideas and thoughts and, and connections. Yeah, and you can see you can see there's there's this sort of like Moscovich sort of confessional that mm. that um really Kaylee is really playing that part. Mm-hmm. You know, there's um there's a couple of like uh, you know sort of like either gross stories or odd reveals yeah. um about her and her relationships and um I just didn't I I wasn't really sure who she was directing the story to. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't, it it really wasn't clear where she was in her life and why she was sharing this story um, in the way. I mean, of course it all gets revealed at the end, Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you couldn't really attach to her either because Mm -hmm. you're just like, why are you telling me this? Right. She shows up in a cab, which is sort of a very fun intro to the show. That was a pretty fun side garage of of theater. And they actually opened the entire building, like the garage door of the building. And you so see there's that like, yellow yeah. cab drive away as as uh, as she comes in. Good timing, yellow cab. Good, good very good timing. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think that was that was infinity. Um, much much to ponder, um, and I wish it had sort of pondered more within it. I think of the only idea of the ideas it brought up. Yeah, I feel like of the very complex um, subjects that it was talking mm-hmm. about, I wanted to be able to chew on them more, mm-hmm. but it just felt like they were being thrown out with a lot of vocabulary and not. Um, not as much emotion and not as much, um, like I didn't, I just didn't buy it as much. Yeah. Yeah. Like what are the ramifications of, of so much of this? Again, we got them from one side, but maybe, maybe not the others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then a couple of days after that, I went to, uh, the Edmonton Flamenco Festival. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um. So the uh the company is Jairo Barrules Flamenco Company from Spain. The mm-hmm. show is called El Llanto Se Mueve, and it's the English translation is The Cry Moves. Ah. Um. And yeah, it was a it was a really um raw and powerful experience. I quite enjoyed. I mean, I just like flamenco dance. I don't know if you know have ever watched flamenco pop. I don't know if I have either. <laughs> Working on my cry moves. Um, yeah. So yes. So um, flamenco. Uh, if um, flamenco is rooted in um, a lot, actually, quite a lot of different sort of European and Eastern dance traditions. Okay. And uh, the 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 key is that it is percussive. Ah. Um, so you're not um, you're not necessarily watching for a lot of like um, pretty um, or uh, like sort of virtuosic movements. Sure. Um, but you are you're you're listening and you and you do actually feel very um i i think that it's quite emotive because uh, the combination is usually of um uh, a, a handful of musicians and uh solo singers mm-hmm. um and then a male and female uh, flamenco performer um, and it's 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 kind of very showboaty in a way in that the the soloists really come out as soloists right um and you're just there to watch and and um you know, give give your alle when they do something really impressive. Um, you're not supposed to clap along with the people who are clapping mm-hmm. because that would really screw up the rhythm because they're actually doing a lot of very focused um, and and uh, changing percussion work. Like yeah. the the actual, not only the um, rhythm will change, but the tone of the clapping even changes. Right. So it's just, it's it's really fascinating to watch. And I think really rewarding to see um a like a great professional flamenco company come through um because it's not something that we get to see here i mean sometimes you'll have a contemporary performance that maybe has a flamenco dancer in it or a flamenco appearance will happen Mm -hmm. in a larger sort of melange of 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 things in a cabaret maybe Mm -hmm. um but to see like the arc of a of a good true flamenco show um really does kind of like bring you through um you know like a lot of um not Spanish history, but like very, very much like the this like a Spanish style and mm-hmm. value in in uh, you know just kind of like the deepness and the and the raw emotion of the music. Flamenco dancers are really I love watching them because they're actually some of the only dancers that ever truly really frown. Okay, um, you know, okay, like yeah. the the constant, and I don't. It's not. There is anger, there is passion, um, for sure. Um, but it's also just this like intense concentration that's happening, mm-hmm. um, with the rhythm. And, uh, I mean, you could compare it to tap dance, but which is not fair at all. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> um, but it is, uh, it is just a very, um, uh, it's very because mm-hmm. it's very intoxicating right, too. Yeah. Like you really hear these feet and, and you're, you know, you're kind of like watching these people who are sweating and just like, you know, and they look angry. Right, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. but it's, but it's, a it's a, it's a, like an attractive anger. You're really just sort of like, wow, yeah, angry. they're really cool. into that. Um, they are hammering that floor. There was, um, one, uh, moment where two of the singers were sitting at, um, a wooden table. Okay. On the Winspear stage, and uh, it was just like a beautiful. You know, they're both singing very beautifully. the 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 music is so emotive because it sounds it uh, often to me kind of sounds like a type of like wailing, like sure. not not even heartsick, but like heartbroken, mm-hmm. um, yeah. or or you know, like there. And it's nostalgic. It's very. It's a very. Um, 
yeah, really visceral uh, to, to watch flamenco. Um, so is with a, with a show like this, with a full flamenco show, is there a, a narrative arc to it? Or is it like a collection of pieces that are sort of working together? It's kind of a, it's usually a collection of pieces. There's um, there's a, a number of different types of song that mm-hmm. they will do. Um, and they move through those different types of song, which are usually associated with a different sort of style of dance. Sure. Okay. So, um, you know, there's a, um, there's certain types of song, and I don't know all of the vocabulary for mm-hmm. this, but there are certain types of song that are only um, meant to be danced by the men uh, or by the male performer. Okay. Um, and then the, the most beautiful one is uh, usually called, I think it's called a solea. Okay. Um, that, is, that is the one where the female dancer is in that beautiful Spanish dress with the polka dots and the big skirt and they right. and it's really um, that's when you really see like of course also the very beautiful forearm movement mm-hmm. um, they they do a lot of like twisting of hands and uh, work essentially below the elbow sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but also you can see some of the influence that it um, that it does take from Indian dance in that way that sort of gestural value sure uh, mm. were there any were there any highlights for you in this whether those were performers or pieces or moments the um, the the highlight is always kind of the end. Okay. <laughs> um, they they really build, you know. So each piece, the the male and female dancer are actually very rarely dance together. Okay. They're usually featured as soloists. Cool. But in the end, everyone's on stage. The everyone like you know like the musicians are all like providing their percussive clapping, singing. Um, the guitarist in this show was absolutely fantastic. And um, then so at the very end, there's this big big crescendo of every kind of movement and. You know, the, they had built um, they built a wood a raised wood stage on the Winspear floor, right. um, so that you could really hear. Mm-hmm. And they also mic'd it, which I thought was a little bit of overkill. Okay, um, but it was it it was still just like a very um, interesting interesting performance. I was very glad to be able to see flamenco in Edmonton after um, visiting Spain last year and seeing all the touristy flamenco sure, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was um, this was just like a great treat to see like a, a flamenco a professional flamenco company come here. Right. Now, in, in the program, which we're looking at right now, uh, it, it, they point out uh, it's sort of a, this expression of life, uh, and there are four main components. There's song, dance, guitar, and rhythm. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that? Those are the sort of four components on display? Yeah, and they they make a point of that during the show to like eat, kind of give each one of those things a very big feature moment. Yeah. Um, so right after intermission was the big guitar solo. Um, before that was, um, I think that the singing, I think that the, the ones that featured the vocalists um, was that moment where the two men were sitting at the table. Right, um, yeah. And then each of the uh, the male and female dancer, Jairo Barul, is the the male star of the show. Right. Um, and the female dancer was um, Irene Lasiento, or Lasentio, sorry. Lasentio. Yeah. Um, mm. She was fantastic. And another thing about flamenco that I do really love <laughs> is that um, these aren't young buck perfect body performers they are um mature and they um have been dancing for a very long time they have gravitas Mm, right like they're they you know they sit there they hold that stage flamenco is not insanely high impact there's not jump there's not a lot of jumping right i mean it must be hard on the joints in certain ways because it's all stomping Mm -hmm. but um it is it is a form that takes some guts mm. and some real sort of like emotional intelligence, I think. And that's what was um, great to see, especially in particular uh, of the dancers, I, uh, which is always my favorite part anyway. Right. <laughs> cool. Yeah. 
Right. So that was Edmonton Flamenco Festival. It's um, actually just in its second year this year. Cool. So it's a new Edmonton festival. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see what they bring next year. Um, Great. Now, uh, how about an ad, Fonda? Sounds like a good time for it. As part of Northwest Fest, the Alberta Podcast Network presents Sick Boy, a documentary about Jeremy Saunders, whose podcast uses laughter to change the way people think about serious illnesses such as cystic fibrosis. Podcast-related things will go on in the lobby of the Metro Cinema, and the film will be preceded by a short film called Picture This, about what it means to be disabled and desirable. That's part of Northwest Fest. Uh, Sick Boy is screening on May 8th, and the uh, Northwest Fest itself, Edmonton's nonfiction film festival, runs from May 3rd to 13th. You can find out more at northwestfest.ca. Uh, that was a great ad, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, Fonda. All right. So are we ready? Are we ready to talk about The Goblins? Pretty Goblins by Beth Graham, uh, a playwright in town, a performer in town. Uh, her last work, The Gravitational Pull of Bernice Trimble, was uh, a finalist for the Governor General's Awards. Um, and this is this is her new work. Yes, it's a wor- the world premiere um, pr- production of this play, mm-hmm. um, and uh, based they've they've taken they've taken the name Pretty Goblins um, based on a poem by Christina Rossetti called Goblin Market, mm-hmm. and um, it's uh, so they inter the some of the. Uh, verse from the play is interspersed in the dialogue um, mm-hmm. of the show, and I thought it was really effective because the um, the uh, Goblin Market is a is a poem that it's like it's very it's really gritty, and um, it's about two sisters as mm-hmm. well, and so is this play, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, well, I'll I'll let you. Start with sure. talking, talking about sisters, Paul. Um, great. So, uh, Pretty Goblins. It, it focuses on two uh, fraternal twin sisters uh, who uh, are are a living, um, and sort of their uh, their bond, and also the the sort of trauma uh, in that surrounds their lives. They don't come from a uh, a family. You get the sense when they talk about their family that it's it's rough growing up. Uh, there's there's alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are all these sort of destructive patterns around them and and in them as well. It's Lizzie and Laura are, are the sisters, and uh, and we we're yeah we're looking at uh, some of those issues, some of those patterns of destructiveness and alcoholism in, in their lives uh, through their bond, which is sort mm-hmm. of the, this integral. Uh, central part of the play. They're the only two performers, um, and and they're they're sort of holding it together. Yeah, and the, the I feel like one of the most beautiful images in the play that still kind of rings in my in my memory, just seeing it a couple of hours ago, mm-hmm. was um, the so they're twin sisters, yeah. Um, and so fraternal yeah, fraternal twins, and they're um, there's this. Uh, um, description of um something that you know a tale that their mother told them about their their ultrasound when they were in the womb mm-hmm. that they were that they were holding hands in the right. womb which is just like this beautiful um really uh interesting way of um uh pointing out the the connection not only that sisters have but the twins in particular yes. have mm-hmm. yeah and uh yeah very uh very dark <laughs> Uh, as a work, um, you know, it went to, it was unafraid to go to, uh, very, uh, difficult places, but it did it in really, uh, strong ways, I mm-hmm. thought. Um, for me, the writing, to me, sort of felt like Judith Thompson, uh, the Canadian playwright, uh, m- most of her impact, I think, was in sort of the 80s and 90s in terms of her, her playwriting, uh, but to me, sometimes when Judith Thompson has struggled today, uh, is produced today, I struggle, um, because some of how it's handled, it handles very difficult 
uh, material and some of these things like alcoholism and, and trauma and mm -hmm. generational trauma and things like that. Uh, but it does it in a way that sometimes doesn't really land today. It feels, um, it just feels difficult in how it approaches it. And I think with this play, it took a, little, a look at a lot of similar ideas uh, as to some of Judith Thompson's uh, big works, but mm -hmm. did it in a way that uh, felt very powerful and relevant today and mm -hmm. contemporary to today in looking at how these things still play out. Yeah, the, the other, um, uh, it was also an, another play that kind of jumps around in time a bit. Mm -hmm. So you see um, uh, the characters Lizzie and Laura played by Miranda Allen and Nadine Chu. Mm -hmm. Um, you see them jump around from being, you know, like uh, seven or eight years old to in their 20s to maybe a little to older than that. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> seeing seeing characters play multiple ages within the same show. Um, I think it I think it takes quite a lot of um, I think it takes quite a lot of sensitivity to just not make a child always shrieky or pouty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I think that Nadine Chu could probably play any age and be completely, completely believable. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the um, other things that I really noticed about the show, you mentioned Judith Thompson, and yeah. and I was actually I was trying to think of this show when um, uh, when you first said it, and I thought, you know, it kind of reminded me of that How I Learned to Drive by Paula Vogel. Ooh, I don't, um, one of the sort of like kind of quintessential Canadian female monologues is about um, also also about um, sexual abuse, mm -hmm. um, which this play did um, did delve into and assault and trauma. Um, and oh man, I'm, I'm jumping around because the show just really was a freaking gut punch. Yeah. Like I, I, I needed a minute afterward. Mm -hmm. I like, we both kind of were just like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Okay. Yeah, I'll cool. see you in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, yeah, some of the, the, just how that bond is tested, this bond of sisterhood in all of these sort of traumatic experiences that particularly sort of surround Lizzie. Um, played by Miranda Allen um, as the sister. Um, uh, this this deeply traumatic thing that happens when they're teens, and sort of the ramifications of these cycles of sort of like um, of of trauma and and alcoholism and these things, mm -hmm. uh, and how those those play out, uh, and just the effect that takes on on both sides of that when someone you you truly care about uh, mm -hmm. is sort of in this place and you don't know how to help them, mm -hmm. but you're trying. And, and how that plays out in the play is sort of uh, built to this very effective crescendo mm -hmm. um, of, of exploring of exploring this bond and its tests. Yeah, and it was, um, I, I, I had a hard time holding it together um, during that during that crescendo. They the show weaves in and out this metaphor of a coyote mm -hmm. and um, I'm, I won't I won't say exactly what right. happens, but the crescendo is just it's that payoff that you need. You need to be able to release it yeah. at that point. And it, and it happened. And I was just kind of like, okay, I'm, it's dark. I can, I can cry. It's fine. Yeah. Um, the, the performance that we saw today though, also had um, ASL interpretation. Yeah. And I think uh, it was one of the most effective uses I've seen of uh, ASL interpretation. Both characters had an interpreter for them. Both of their interpreters were dressed very similar to the characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and their hair was done. Their hair was done too. similarly, yeah. and they were um, they weren't just off to the side. They were sort of they had their own blocking, and sometimes that wove between the action on stage. Mm -hmm. So I think like a, a like a tip of the cap to to Workshop West for 
uh, not just including ASL interpretation in their shows, but doing it in a way that um, made it a part of the show that was effective and, yeah. and well used and well woven into the action on the stage as well. Yeah, it was fully integrated. So often when you see ASL interpretation in a show, it's just the the interpreter is in all black on the side and that's kind of as far mm -hmm. as it goes. Yeah. And I think... I think that absolutely probably affects the way that people who are there for the interpretation see the show. Mm -hmm. And so in this way, it really actually allowed the... Um the uh, the interpreters become to, to become the characters a little bit and to like almost just kind of like enhance what was happening as well. Yeah. Um, there were certain times when I wanted to just watch the interpreter because I was like, I kind of want to know what that word looks sure. like yeah, or yeah. that phrase looks yeah. like. Um, and they were uh, Nicole Sander and Andrea Konowalik. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Do you think I pronounced that right? I think Konowalik is a pretty good guess. Andrea, sorry if that's uh, not right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think this was... Uh, as far as uh, taking on very powerful themes and very difficult themes, mm -hmm. uh, this was handled in a just a, 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 a very strong way that was a testament to both um, the writing of Beth Graham mm -hmm. and also the production and how that was handled and how the creative team put that together. Nadine Chu, I feel like, has been through more harrowing roles in Edmonton than any other actor I've seen. I am, yeah, I'm and... I'm so sorry. I'm going to say it, but the shit that Nadine Chu goes through on stage sometimes, I don't even, I don't even, I can't even say. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, and in this role, um, I think, and with with that skill set that, that uh, Nadine obviously has, um, seeing that where in this case, she is sort of the one who's trying to keep it together. Mm -hmm. um, she is uh, the sister who's trying to help her sister. It was just a, a very powerful use of... Uh, uh, a very powerful actor is very powerful chops. Yeah. Oh God. The chops, the chops on Nadine Chu are, are, are endless. And I was really, um, also impressed with Miranda Allen's performance. Yeah. I personally have seen Miranda Allen as a, as a street performer and as a, uh, stilt locker. Yeah, and she's an internationally, uh, internationally touring escape artist. Yeah. And this was one of the first, I think the first show that I've seen her play like a scripted character. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was, uh, and man, did she, come through like yeah. Lizzie Lizzie's journey in this show is freaking painful yeah, um, there's this varying this is very difficult scene early on uh, which again in a testament to both writing and performance um, the traumatic thing has already happened but the way it's sort of shown to us in the aftermath is more powerful I would say than it would be to just stage that on stage which would be you know horrific in a bunch of different ways but mm -hmm. Uh, just to the way it's handled in, in this show mm -hmm. um, is to sort of be like, yep, we're in the aftermath. Here's what that looks like is mm -hmm. so and it, and powerful. It, and it really, it really sits with it for a while yeah. too. It doesn't just sort of, you know, there's a really uncomfortable, gross thing that happens. And mm -hmm. then, and then you, and then it stays there. It mm -hmm. sticks it through and it keeps going. It actually yeah. ups the game. The, the script really, really carries it through. I think this is masterfully directed by Brian Dooley. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of really, really tough stuff in this show. And um, it was interesting. We ran into one of the technicians outside after mm -hmm. the show, um, who I think is with Rapid Fire Theater. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, and um, mentioned that, you know, kind of asked her, how do you do this show after show? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, uh, 
it's a heavy one right yeah but uh but very powerful and uh yeah a very strong uh new play from a, a strong uh voice in edmonton yeah edmonton playwright Ru- woo woo Ru- so woo. so big so big um obviously i'm still not quite um recovered <laughs> yeah um which maybe brings us around to another ad fonda yeah this episode of i don't get it is brought to you by yes painting a new social enterprise in edmonton that can help you spruce up your house while giving youth a chance to build a better future for themselves yes painting works just like any other contract painting service the difference is that the work is done by young people who have been involved with youth empowerment and support services which helps 15 to 21 year olds who are facing difficult realities like homelessness trauma addictions or neglect yes painting teaches business and life skills pays the workers a living wage and donates half of the proceeds to youth empowerment and support services yes painting is making the world a better place one paint job at a time check it out on social at yes painting that's y-e-s-s painting and sign up for your free quote at yespainting.com. that's y-e-s-s painting.com cool fonda so what's coming up in the next little while Oh, my goodness. There's so much stuff. It's spring, you know? (laughs) So uh, of the shows that are still going on, uh, Undercover at the Citadel Theater, the uh, spontaneous theater whodunit, uh, is happening until April 29th. And as discussed, Infinity is running at Theater Network at the Roxy on Gateway um, from April uh, until May 6th. Yeah, and Pretty Goblins, uh, being presented by Workshop West, is at the ATB Arts Barn's The Backstage Theater, so around the back, uh, until April 29th. Um, There's only one week left of that show, and they have talkbacks on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week. So um, there's, yeah, there's lots to see. Um, Go Go, go freaking see Pretty Goblins. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, at Shadow Theater, uh, we have Fly Me to the Moon, which runs from April 25th until May 13th. Uh, the Edmonton Poetry Festival is running until the 29th. Uh, Silver Arrow, the untold story of Robin Hood, is playing at the Citadel Theater April 21st to May 13th. That has music by Hoxley Workman uh, and is a sort of acrobatic take on the the Robin Hood story. I hear there's archery and flying things in it. Cool. (laughs) Um, uh, Ancestors and Elders, Shumka's show um, in collaboration with Indigenous artists and dancers, is um, playing at the Jubilee on April 27th and 28th. And uh, the Good Women Dance Collective is doing What's Cooking, their annual sort of LEDs... uh, uh, what are you working on? Let's see it and 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 give uh, feedback and critique with an audience. As happening April 29th at the Arts Barns, and that's all happening in conjun- in conjunction with International Dance Day. Yay! Yay! Okay, that was a good one, Paul. Great. Yeah, yeah. big well, big episode. There's a lot. Let's go. Let's go unpack it. Um, cool. Well, uh, go see some things, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenov.